This is the What's Next Teacher Podcast with your host, Dr. Julie Warner. Here you'll hear from former teachers who have left the classroom for thriving careers in and outside of education to help you picture yourself on the other side and land the job of your dreams. If you're feeling confused about what to do next, stuck, or fearful about paying the bills, What's Next Teacher has your back. Now here's your host, Dr. Julie Warner. Hey everyone, welcome back to What's Next Teacher. I'm your host, Julie Warner. I'm really excited about today's guest. I interview a dear friend of mine, Ashley J. Ashley taught high school English just like me. And we have both moved on to careers in the tech sector. Uh, but Ashley has a really interesting story to tell that I think has a lot of value for you, given that she had done a bit of strategizing to be able to land the job that she has now, including taking what she thinks of as a bridge position. I get a lot of questions about bridge positions. I get a lot of questions about getting experience when all you have is that teaching experience and doors are not opening for you. If that's the case, if that's the sense you're getting so far on the job market, definitely take her advice. We also talk in depth about the skills-based resume. And this is something that I urge all of my teacher clients to employ in their job search. It's just such a fantastic tool for amplifying the skills that you bring rather than your work history, which for an employer, looking at your resume, if you're applying particularly to a field much different from one in education, you want to make it clear for them why you're a great fit. And the skills-based resume is a great way to do that. Well, I'm really excited to have Ashley with me today. Ashley and I have known each other since we were both in the classroom so many moons ago, although <laughs> Ashley had a, a more um, robust teaching career than I did. But maybe we could start just by jumping in with your introduction. Anything that you'd like to share about your background in terms of um, who you are and your teaching background with a group of potentially transitioning teachers. Awesome. Yeah, I think about it. I think the first time that we met in real life was when you were actually getting rid of all of your classroom teaching materials and I drove up to Atlanta and grabbed them all from you. <laughs> That's a funny image now, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And I think about it. I kept some of those uh, materials and used them until I stopped uh, teaching in the classroom, which was probably six years after you left. Um, so yeah, I taught high school English in middle Georgia for nine years. Um, I always say 10 because I include that year of student teaching and stuff in there. But yeah, I spent 10 years uh, teaching mostly 10th graders, um, but I jumped around all over the high school curriculum and stuff. So um, it was an interesting experience because I spent four years in a um, rural town in between Atlanta and Macon. And then I spent the last five years of my teaching career 
at the high school I graduated from. So that was also interesting. And I decided to make the transition from teaching to something else. And I didn't even know what the something else was when I made this decision in the 2014-2015 school year. So I have been out of the teaching profession, um, not out of education completely um, as part of my story um, for about seven and a half years now. So this is the eighth year that the eighth school year that I have not been in the classroom. Oh my gosh. Do we still count time according to school year? I guess you do if you're working with still in the education space to some degree. Yeah. I actually had a conversation with my new boss a couple of weeks ago that said, and I basically just said like, um, what are the holidays like uh, in a tech company that is not um, working on the academic calendar year? And because I didn't know. I've never, like, I think about it. And I'm like, I was in school for 17 years and then in college, like, you know, doing the whole high school thing and then college. And then I worked a real job for two or three years before going back into my master's program to get my master's of teaching. So my entire adult life even has operated around the academic calendar up until January of this year. So, yeah. Wow, that's an interesting thought too. I wonder if that's like something that feeds into teachers' hes hesitation to leave the classroom. I mean, it's sort of all encompassing in terms of the culture if we're really? even talking about down to like the pace of every day of your, you know, year, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize we both I taught at the high school that I went to as well the la the last um piece of my teaching career. That's funny. Did you find that um <laughs> i felt like i could never grow up or something in my colleagues eyes because so many of them were still there the teachers that i had oh absolutely and it was really funny making relationships with those people so i had a couple of things that pop out to me there making relationships with teachers that i had had as a student and as a high school teacher like there was that piece but also a lot of my former classmates had returned and were teaching at that high school. So there was also making relationships with adults that you already had preconceived notions about as a teenager. So those were interesting, like ways to, to navigate the, t the, the climate, if you will. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and what, what uh, inspired you to go into teaching to begin with? Oh my gosh. I don't even know, to be honest with you. I think I had some like, I had idealistic, version of I'm going to teach people how to look at the world differently and change the world and really went into it with, you know, this idea that I could somehow teach people to look at the human uh, condition through literature and that it would cause this massive movement. I think I was a little idealistic about why I went into the teaching profession. Um, it wasn't about the holidays or any of that like kind of practical stuff it was really really kind of ivory tower trying to change the world if you will so yeah i feel that i i was just like i had kind of a rough adolescence i guess we all do right but i was like i just want to be that person that can the kid you know makes the kids feel felt like they're mm -hmm. not invisible because there are so many that felt that way and then you know when you go to think about transitioning you've invested something so personal and so heavy and so important in your identity in that role that I think it, it makes it really difficult. I mean, you're talking about changing the world, right? And then it's like, well, 
you know, now I'm going to go work in corporate. <laughs> Something there doesn't, yeah. it just makes it harder. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I feel like you do have to find your passion projects outside of being a school teacher once you transition out of the classroom. Like you lose that almost built in uh, environment where you can pour into whatever you're passionate about, whether it be art or, you know, maybe you're a football coach or whatever it is that that extracurricular activity of a high school provides you, that is taken away when you move into the corporate world and you kind of have to find those outlets other places as well. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get the notion that you wanted to leave and how did you start thinking about, you know, what to do next? <laughs> Lots of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, be, to be real honest with you, like, yeah, I went through a really big life transition. So I not only left my uh, teaching career, I also up and moved myself a thousand miles across the country and decided I was going to start my life over basically at 34. So there was a whole lot of shifting that was going on in the year. I would even say the 18 months leading up to uh, my final day in the classroom of just like, preparing and planning and trying to figure out what the next steps were. Um, I had a teacher, you know, that I was close to that offered me this piece of advice when I started talking about like whether or not I wanted to leave the classroom. Um, she said, Ashley, you are 10 years in, like you either leave now or you're in it for the next 20. Like you are at the point where you either have to, you either have to do it or you're never going to do it. And wow. yeah, that, that advice really, resonated with me and I still kind of carry it closely and I often distribute it to teachers that are looking at leaving the profession you know like you you kind of have to make the jump because it's very easy I feel like to get caught in the cycle of signing contracts because it's a sure thing on the other side and so you sign the contract saying like oh I'll look for a new job during the summer months but we all know how burnt out teachers are during the summer months and so the next school year comes and you already have a secure job and you're just ready to like start it over again so I definitely got caught in that cycle towards the end of my teaching career but then um a whole lot of life shift happened for me I ended a long-term relationship I was deeply, deeply in some heavy talk therapy. And I just decided that the 2014-2015 year was going to be it for me. I went in knowing that I was not going to sign a contract for the next year. Um, I did some practical things to try and like prepare financially for the upcoming change because like I said, I was moving across the country. I, that was kind of the first piece of the puzzle was like, oh, I want to move to Austin, Texas out of middle Georgia. And then all the dominoes kind of fell into place after I made that decision. Last year I was in the classroom was probably one of my favorite years. It might be my favorite year that I taught because I just didn't care anymore. Like I wasn't <laughs> beholden to whatever the administration needed from me. Like you need lesson plans here. Here are my lessons plans from last year. What are you going to do? Fire me? So I had this really lazy fair uh, attitude about like, you know, like they're not going to do anything to me. They know I'm a good teacher. And I really, really enjoyed the freedom of my last year of teaching with that attitude. Um, I think oh, I got well, off track. I don't think I answered your question, but. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a lot. I mean, I wonder how that 
played in with, you know, the major life change that's kind of inspiring you to have to leave and have to get a new job? And there are, you know, so many teachers, I think, that are wanting to make a change, but they don't sort of have this broader vision that you seemed to have. And you had the support with a therapist as well to kind of talk through that. Do you think that that having the big life change kind of compounded the fear or did it inspire you or how did that work? Do you think? I think I was scared to death, to be honest with you. I mean, I just kind of winged it on faith, right? That something was going to shake out of the tree for me. Um, and I will say that moving, I moved, um, in the summer months. So I finished up my contract. I spent the month of June kind of traveling around and seeing friends. And then in July I moved to Austin and I got really serious and I had started. So let me back up back probably February of that year. I had started sending out resumes and applying to jobs just like, you know, will I get a bite? Will I get a bite? And nothing. I mean, like nobody would pay me any attention. Um, I went to a career coach at my alma mater, my college and helped and they helped me and kind of rework my resume a little bit um, so that it didn't just read school teacher that there were a lot of transferable skills on there. Um, So I started sending that resume out and it just was not getting any bites. But once I moved to Austin in July of 2015, I spread a really broad net. Like I didn't really have a, I want a corporate job or I want a tech job or I just started like applying. I was applying to things like working with the homeless or um, at one point I was in talks with the state of Texas about like working with their disabled population. So I was just kind of like any job that seemed like it would get my foot in the door and allow me to establish myself in a new setting. um, I was open to the possibility and I leaned heavily on a support system that had been in place for many years um, as online friends in Austin. And one of those um, contacts actually introduced me to a girl who worked at an ed tech company. And that was kind of my first aha moment of like, maybe ed tech is the way to get your foot in the door for the next phase of your life. And so I started really kind of narrowing my focus down from that broad net to by the time it got to August, September, I was basically only applying at tech companies that could benefit from training skills or curriculum development or any 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 way that I could work myself into the conversation. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much where I ended up as far as like, how did I get into this? You know, like, what did I do? What were my next steps? Yeah, I'm impressed that you could even like really remember all of that. It, it sounds like, you know, you in terms of your process, because I I barely remember mine. But, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you were looking for different roles where you would still be in that helper position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the through line for you initially. And you're starting to get experience applying, kind of understanding how much your resume and application is sort of resonating in different areas or not and tweaking it. It's it's so cool. It's it's iterative. Right. And then you kind of found your way. But I don't think you can you can do that until you just 
get started and so many of us just get overwhelmed mm -hmm. there is such a broad landscape of career possibilities like think industries and then on top of that different roles within different industries and different organizations i mean it's it's completely overwhelming so i admire that you just jumped in and did it until things became clear yeah and i think too that we forget how people that are in education like that is basically all they understand education operates as such a like siloed industry if you will that when you start looking outside of it for opportunities you don't even realize how corporate america or even nonprofit organizations are set up and all of the moving pieces and roles that it takes to make a company operate and so when you start dissecting like okay what department can i actually find myself in it can be overwhelming because there are so many different avenues that you can go down um, as a teacher i think teachers undersell themselves as far as like what they're what they're capable of doing we do we because i still include myself in this situation you know or this group we do so much that a corporate job often feels like it is not enough mm, say more about that <laughs> i mean you think about a teacher's day right i mean it starts early you are on stage from the time that the kids step in the classroom you are making decisions on the fly all the time yeah. you are organizing and uh content creating and and they're just and not to mention the people management that you're doing like there are so many skills that teachers do innately every day that i only have to tap into in my corporate job for maybe a span of like 30 or 45 minutes a day like it's never that constant all the time energy that that is required in order to be a good teacher. Like that doesn't exist. It can exist sometimes in some jobs. I would call those toxic, <laughs> you know, but, yes. uh, but you know, like if you find yourself in a good position, like if you get outside of teaching and you are in a company that cares, whether that's a nonprofit organization or corporate job, or maybe you're somewhere in like state government, if you're in a spot like the demands upon most employees are significantly less than a teacher on just an average everyday good day i would say you know let's not even talk about when things go to hell in a handbasket yeah which they do quite often right. um <laughs> we're having you yeah. know active shooter drills uh right. and such so let's not forget about that i mean it's like there's this whole other layer of sort of like hypervigilance and whew, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. And I found too that, you know, I've been in a number of roles since I left. Some of them were, you know, pretty demanding, but none of them were as demanding as teaching. And Never. that's, that's where the, like, it's very funny to me, you know, seeing the reception teachers get on the job market because it's like this person, could run circles around any of your star employees. You just exactly. don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that um, that that work ethic really served me well um, right out of the gate as a brand new not teacher um, because I ended up in a role that was super strenuous and required a lot of travel and it required a lot of just um, personal sacrifice as far as like as I mentioned, like trying to get 
settled in a new city. So I didn't, so my first job out of teaching was, um, the title was professional development specialist. And basically I traveled around the country and taught, trained teachers how to use a online curriculum um, software platform in their classrooms. I also met with like district leaders and helped them come up with their credit recovery strategy, talked about, you know, change management practices with them, how they could be more effective. And I was on the road about 90% of the time. So that, that position um, was super strenuous. And I think that coming out of that kind of teacher mentality of like, just go, 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 get it done, get it done. Like you'll, you'll, you can sacrifice yourself in order to serve the greater good or whatever that, that mentality that teachers often find themselves in was it served me well for my first job in the ed tech industry. And then once I had built the bridge, which is what I call that job. And I, I spent four and a half years in that job building the bridge into another position. Um, I went into another ed tech company that was that had zero travel and it was much more manageable, but it still had that ed that education feel of um, how do I say this? Like it still felt very bureaucratic and standard centered and um, just a lot of bureaucratic BS is what I felt like that job served um, because it was about data collection and moving practices onto uh, the internet into cloud-based services so that people in higher ed admin could look at data points. And um, I left the education field completely in January. And when I was looking for my third job, so this is the third job I've had since I left the classroom, um, one of the requirements is I wanted to be out of education altogether. Um, so I'd, I had done my my time, if you will, with um, standards and curriculum and all of, all of the things that come along with education. Mm, that's so funny because I, I did something pretty similar where I was bopping around in different roles that still had an education component. And then finally one day I just went, I'm at the saturation point <laughs> with education stuff. I'm like, and I wonder too, was it that or was it that I finally, like, did it take that long for me to get the confidence to like leave my past behind? Cause that had defined me professionally and personally, but you know, the, the, my resume was, I was so proud of everything that I had done at all these different levels of education and all these different capacities and sort of leaving that behind feels like, uh, you know, you're just like squandering that. And then also it's just scary. Yes. I think, yes, but no, for me anyways, um, I was ready. I, I knew that I, I was done with being an educator. It is funny to me how many times I bring up, you know, excuse me, how many times I bring up in a week, uh, I used to be a school teacher because there's always something that relates back to that. Right. Yes. And, but also like I, was ready to close that chapter of like my career centering around the education field. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I can understand that. So when you were looking at the skills that you had as a teacher initially and thinking about how to package those, how did you really think about that with that first job? It sounds like you really still emphasize the teaching background and such because it was so relevant to the ed tech position. 
Yes, exactly. Now, I will say that one thing that I did as far as like formatting a resume that I still remember being pretty, pretty useful, and it got me a lot more attention within the resume bot algorithms um, was I actually went from like a traditional style resume that's like, I was a teacher at this school for X, Y, Z, and then the next job listing and then the next job listing. So I went away from that format and actually went into a functional skills type resume, which uh, allowed me to kind of highlight what those transferable skills were and how I could meet the needs of whatever job description I was trying to to apply for. Um, And that was once I made that change to my resume, I started getting a lot more hits, but I cannot emphasize enough how much networking can get you as well. Um, I don't, I know that not all of your audience is going to be in a major metropolitan area, but if you are in a major metropolitan area, there are so many tech opportunities that um, can line up with those transferable skills. And even if you have to start, you know, at the bottom of a, of a totem pole, you know, like I know um, I have a, ex-teacher friend who started off as like a support call person at a tech company and those transferable skills quickly moved her out of the bottom of the totem pole and into a more managerial type position because she was so good at what she did um once she got her feet up underneath her and so it's really about just getting your foot in the door so you can get your face and your voice and your person in front of people that are doing hiring and the first trick to that is getting through those those algorithm bots that people that companies use to sort resumes yes i think that teachers we're not getting a lot of opportunities to apply a lot of teachers i talk to don't even have a resume because they just weren't planning to move around and the vision of the resume that most people have is that reverse chronological listing of the jobs that you've had. And when a hiring manager looks at that, they're having to do too much work to translate how you're going to help them. And I think that skills-based allows you to make the case for yourself with much more immediacy Mm -hmm. and takes that cognitive load off of the hiring manager, which is what you want to do. So I think that's brilliant. But I really, I'm really interested too in this idea of kind of like a bridge position. I think that teachers that I talk to think in terms of this contract ethos. We're so used to signing a contract and thinking that if you take a job, you've got to stay there for X, Y, and Z. And no, (laughs) you might want to think in a longer term trajectory about, okay, here's kind of where I would like to be. What kind of skills would I need to gain in the interim and how can I get them? Like, it sounds like you had an awareness of that. Yeah. I mean, I think for me initially, it was just like, can I get a paycheck? Like there was very much, I was running up on a timeline at the point that I accepted my first ed tech job. Um, So for me, really, it became like the first job that offered me like a livable wage. I will take this. But then once I got into the job and understood it and became good at it, which I'm not going to lie, took me about a year to become good at this new job. Um, There was a lot of of, a big learning curve, not only in the product that I was teaching on because I had never used it in the classroom, but also 
and you can bookmark this for a future question, but also learning business acumen and the structure of businesses um, took about a year before I really felt comfortable with like what departments did and how things worked. Um, but yeah, like I think that a bridge job for me, like once I got good at my job, then I started to enjoy my job and I did it and I did enjoy the job for about two years. And then the travel started to wear on me. So then the thought became like, how do I pivot this bridge job? I have my foot in the door now. People will recognize me as more than a school teacher that I can do other things. And so I started to kind of vision board, manifest, uh, dream, wish up, however you want to think about it. I started to like really kind of get the vision for what the next job would be. And so it became and then I started looking for that type of job. Um, still used education as a bridge to get to that next job because it was the you know, it was the route that I wanted to take I go more into project management and then uh, than you know training if you will and so using that education piece as the bridge to get into the next type of job that i had discovered that i would be really good at so it's about you know i know i'm good at training or teaching people how to do things so i'm going to take a job where i train people to do things okay this job has illustrated to me that i am really good at organization and getting people to do things um, in a timely fashion so I'm going to use the education bridge to get into project management. Once I got into that project management job, I spent about two and a half years there, um, realized that it wasn't a great fit for me, but I still have all of those skills that project management requires. And so I have shifted completely out of education now using that project management job as a bridge to get into a job where I now am uh, the the voice for our in in the industry i'm in right now the voice for our top like four or five clients in a in in a, in a certain industry and so i do a lot of client relationship building but also a lot of internal organization and timelines and deadlines and that project management side of the house so it's it's a very nice blend of the people skills from teaching and relationship building from teaching and then also kind of the project management and organization skills that I all, that came from teaching, but that have been refined into more of a business, uh, a business type. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Help me out, Julie. <laughs> like, a, like a, a function? Yeah, business type function, if you will. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting that <laughs> it only takes you a year to ramp up. I'm... I found that it takes me two years. Like there's typically kind of a two year learning curve for me to feel like I am good at something. And I've realized that's standard. Like yes. your, your management doesn't expect you to yes. know everything. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you don't want to get into an interview and say, I will be anything you want me to be. Train me up and I can shine. Like you want to communicate that you can hit the ground running, but you also, they don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be in learning mode for the first year. Mm -hmm. at, least. at least, at least. And granted, you will get thrown into the fire. I mean, just like you get thrown into the fire as a first year teacher, but there's grace for learning and ramping. Um, yeah, I am, I'm set eight months, eight months into this new job that I just started. I just started on Valentine's day. 
of 2022. And I feel like I have a good understanding of what my role is. I don't think I am the best at what I'm going to become in this role, if that makes any sense. And how do you figure that out? For me, I've been thinking a lot recently about what it was like for me to figure out the culture of an organization and that business acumen that you mentioned. And a lot of it for me was just that ambient information you pick up in the workplace, hearing how your colleagues speak to each other or the boss or, you know, just discerning from different um, paperwork that you might be sending around or correspondence or whatever it might be. But now that there are so many folks in remote roles, I'm like, whew, that makes it a little tougher when you're not physically in the space kind of soaking things up. But yeah, what was that like for you? Or do you have any tips on how to really gain that kind of business acumen? Oh my gosh. I even six weeks ago, wrote a note to myself on a post-it that said, do a, a Khan Academy course on business acumen. <laughs> so I'm still learning. Um, but I, I think that a lot of it is you have to be willing to ask questions and real and and admit that this is all new to you. And it's new when you change jobs for any company, but coming out of the classroom and into um, the private sector, uh, if you will, is a complete shift in how things operate. There is still a hierarchy. There are still gonna be, you know, chains of command and there's still a bunch of like useless paperwork that has to be filled out and all those things. That 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 doesn't go away. But the titles change. Um the here's another one that changes that I had to wrap my brain around. The money matters. Like coming out of the classroom, you don't ever really, I mean, you, you know that budgets are tight. You know that you spend your own money, but private sector is about making money, right? And so that is a hard, that for me was a hard concept to wrap my brain around. It isn't about making all of your customers happy. You're never going to make all of your customers happy, but it is about how can we max profits? And so that shift was kind of difficult for me because I just wanted to do a good job for my customers. And so it it was a shift into how how can I continue to do the best job for my customers, but also echo the messaging of whatever the internal decision was. Does that make is that clear? I guess. Yeah, that that's actually a light bulb for me because. I never thought about that as teachers were sort of, I mean, there are a ton of constraints. We all complain about the standards and the, you know, federal involvement or whatever it might be, but we still have a lot of autonomy many times. At least I did. I made a lot of my own professional decisions, whether I had to close the door to do it, you know, is another story, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't figure this out until later. Like I'm not, I don't, need to follow my heart when I'm making decisions on the job, like whatever I think it, using my professional discernment I need to do, I'm typically going, what is my boss value and what's going to make my boss look good? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm still in the public sector now, so it's not, you know, as much about profit making, but it is, we still do, you know, have budgetary constraints, certainly. So it's not like that doesn't play a factor, but, you know, I'm always trying to figure out like, how can I make my boss look good? And 
when you do that, you know, things are fine <laughs> from what I've noticed. Yes, pretty much. As long as you don't screw up the messaging to customers uh, and create a big mess, uh, you can pretty much do whatever you want is where I, I land right now um, with my boss. So yeah, I have had to get used to making people mad at me um, because what my customers want to hear a lot of times from me are not is not what is actually going to be accomplished uh, with our internal teams. And so my job is often figuring out how to put that into words that that are, are pal, 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 palatable, that people can stomach, basically, um, all from the customer end. So I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm uh, going to say something to somebody. Um, a lot of times I take a dog walk and try to figure out like, all right, how am I going to write this email to send the message that something that's going to make somebody unhappy or is not going to be like what they want to hear. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that can be a little bit scary because, you know, we're, I have this theory that a lot of teachers are people pleasers. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how true that is or not, but and I think it gets a little bit scary out in the world beyond the classroom to think like, what if I mess up and I have to face the music? And I really have had to get a tougher, thicker skin and learn how to take criticism with more grace and understand that it's not something that goes to my character. I may not have known something and I'm human and that's okay. Yep. And Every time I simply take responsibility and say, wow, I messed that up and here's what I'm going to do next time. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Nobody cares. You know, it's funny. I mean, like I think about it, I could take criticism from a 15 year old boy all day, every day in the classroom. And it took me a long time to develop that thick skin in, I think I'm still developing it actually in kind of corporate America. Because you're not dealing with a 15 year old boy, you're dealing with like full grown adults. And luckily, like most of the people I deal with are nice, but they're also looking out for their own profit margins. Right. And so um, there's kind of a, a push and pull between two companies. And I just happen to be the person that's kind of stuck in the middle there a lot of times. So, yeah. 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 I can definitely understand that. But I also love it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think that. The position that I have finally found myself in um, highlights everything that I do really well and lets me delegate to other people what I don't do well. Wow, that's that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. smart of of management, right? Yes. Like you, you're going to be more productive and more, you know, creating more value for the company if you're working in your zone of genius, as they say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, this last job search that I went on, um, I got really clear about what I wanted um, out of my next position. Um, I wanted out of education. I did not want to be, I did not want to be beholden to metrics of like how quickly I could do something or how long it took for uh, software to be implemented. I did not want to be beholden to any metrics and I wanted um, freedom, like to kind of do my own thing. And I, because our 
company was an ed tech company, I was beholden to the academic calendar. So I had the Christmas, the week between Christmas and New Year's off. And my first, my only task on my to-do list during that break was get my resume together. So the first day of vacation, I hit the ground. I pulled up my computer. I banged out a new resume and saved it and shut down my computer and didn't think about it for the next, whatever, seven days or so. And then bright and early that first work day of the new year of 2022, I started looking at resources for jobs that were available, um, which by the way, like if you are not already in Facebook groups that are um, digital job based, like there are a ton, some of them are city specific. There are some that are regional. There are some that are only remote digital jobs. Um, those can be a plethora of resources for someone that is looking for just potential job postings. Um, anyways, that was where I found, I found this job posting. I applied to it and within two and a half weeks, I was handing in my notice to my previous employer. And this job ticks every single box that I had set out for myself. I only interviewed here and that is not typical. Um, I was expecting to put three to six months of work into finding a new job and got super lucky to kind of find a unicorn that fit all of my requirements. And so far my experience here has been amazing. Um, I had some people who were doubtful. They were like, actually, you've only interviewed at one place. Like, are you sure you want to make this jump? And I was like, I, my gut says yes. Like my gut says this is the thing to do. And I have been thinking my lucky stars that I took that jump every day of 2022. I think that's such a good tip about the Facebook groups yeah. because it can be baffling to get on Indeed or LinkedIn and start looking for jobs when you don't even know what the right keywords are. Yep, absolutely. Um, I have used, I've actually gotten both of my jobs, so not my original job out of the classroom, but the two I've had since then have both come from the same um facebook group that is specific here to austin but it's called austin digital jobs and it is run by a woman who is in the industry as a recruiter and there's no bs in that um group there's no spam like they they run it so well and i have found my last two jobs out of that facebook group that's awesome mm -hmm. something else that you mentioned earlier was that you're not necessarily going to be able to take all of the boxes of what you want to do with your time in a in a in a job role and how have you kind of scratched that itch to do something education focused or otherwise you know sort of outside of your nine to five <laughs> i'm still trying to figure that out julie <laughs> to be honest with you um i have looked into like volunteer roles with um our local LGBTQ youth organization here, but the pandemic has kind of put a squash on all of that and I have not pursued it since then. Um, but I will say that my passion projects have turned into things um, that I can do myself, you know, like my yoga practice or um, I mean, I moved to Austin so that I can see a lot of concerts. I see a lot of live music. Um, so my passion has kind of shifted away from those groups. And 
that's something that I want to work on in 2023 is getting back to impacting lives in that helper caretaker kind of role a little bit. Well, I can see why after giving so much of yourself for a decade that you might want to pour some resources into you (laughs) and recharge makes sense to me. Yeah. And another thing, I mean, because my first job out of the classroom was so travel heavy, it was almost impossible to have any type of schedule. It not almost, it was impossible to have any type of schedule that allowed me to say, you know, I'm going to show up every Wednesday night at this group and continue building those relationships. And so I spent four and a half years kind of in that. I don't have any sort of routine. I don't have any sort of schedule and I have not been able, I have not sought that back out now that I do have a routine and a schedule and can say, yes, on Wednesday nights, I'm available to do this. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, post pandemic, I've just been trying to put the pieces back together. So, amen. Amen. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I'm just becoming myself again, you know, after the pandemic, a little bit. Exactly. (laughs) Well, is there, are there any other um, sentiments that you'd want to share with teachers that are thinking about leaving? I mean, one thing I'll say is that. I hear over and over again, should I stay or should I go? I'm not sure. I'm transition curious, you know, (laughs) maybe there's maybe speak to those folks. Like what advice do you have for teachers thinking about leaving the classroom who are unsure? Um, If you cry every day on the way to work, might be time to consider taking the jump Um, (laughs) is the first thing that comes to my brain. Um, I also think that you just have to get really still and really really introspective about how brave you can be and knowing that you're going to jump and it's going to feel real scary, but that there are so many places for teachers to land. Like it doesn't have to be in, I've talked a lot about, you know, the tech world, but it doesn't have to be in the tech world. It doesn't have to be in any sort of teaching role, like your skills are transferable and you will make someone an excellent employee in the future. Um, But it is scary. I mean, I can remember even when I had made the decision to leave the classroom and I knew that day that the, um, what was it? What was the letter called that they always handed you in like March for you to? Oh, yeah. Letter of intent or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The letter. I can't remember getting that last letter of intent in my mailbox and thinking I should just sign this. Like I should just like throw all the plans and the plans were well underway at that point. Just throw all the plans out the window and just come back because it's security and it's comfortable and you know what you're going to get, even if you're in a place where it's toxic or semi-abusive because we all know that teachers take on so much. Um, Even if it's that, it's still a secure place and it's scary to leave that. Um, So know that your fears are valid and that it's it's a big step, but it is also a big step that can be worth it um, if you are serious about leaving the teaching profession. And You know, if you've got 20 years in and you're ready to go, by all means, leave. You know, like there's nothing that's going to keep you there. And I still keep my teaching certifications current. I think I'm going to let them expire this uh, this time around because I I don't think I'm going 
there's no way I would go back to the classroom now. Like That's so funny. I mine's current too. And I <laughs> I keep hearing this. Like everybody wants that safety blanket, even <laughs> though we have no there, I'm like, there's no chance in hell you'll ever see me. <laughs> no, but I'm still gonna renew that mofo. <laughs> you know, I think about it too, like, you know, things are kind of the talk of recession and that sort of thing in the private sector often brings like talks of layoffs and stuff. And that's really scary. And I'm not going to lie. I always keep in the back of my head that I can return if I want to. Yeah. it's Austin nice. ISD, Yeah. Austin ISD would snatch me up in a heartbeat and give me a job. If all I had to do is step foot in their employment, like in their employment office. So even if it doesn't work out, you always have a fallback. Like, your teaching experience is never going to not be. And so take the leap. And if you have to come back, you can come back. Like it's, that's a, that's an option. Yeah. I think that's so smart and so true. Well, I want to end on that note because that's really powerful. And <laughs> I just, I have so much gratitude for your willingness to share all of this i'm i there's just been so much value and it's just been so fun too and i just adore you so thank you so much ashley you are so welcome julie and i am available for anything else that you might need in helping teachers transition because i firmly believe that there's a lot of power in the teaching profession that is underutilized and i would like to see people shine so thank you for doing this yeah it's so true and we have to help each other out we got to have each other's backs it's Absolutely. so important we've put in too much together yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um but thank you so much for the opportunity i appreciate it thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Julie, check out whatsnextteacher.com or follow up on social media at What's Next Teacher across all platforms. Thanks again and see you next time.